Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm here talking with my dad, Robert Robb, who's writing on Substack, robertrobb.substack.com. On this episode, we're, we're talking about Congress. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. We've got a new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, and there's about two weeks to go before another uh, deadline on, on passing a budget. So I want to talk about the dynamics of, of Congress with a new speaker, and I also want to talk about, um, here in Arizona, some of the political campaigns happening. We've got a crowded Republican primary uh, in the West Valley, it's District uh, 8, seeking to replace uh, Debbie Lesko. Um, but then we've got a, a sad, lonely Republican primary for, for U.S. Senate, so we'll talk about that as well. Now let's start by talking about the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Uh, he rose to this position after uh, some infighting between MAGA extremists and, and more institutional type Republicans in the House. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the old Speaker, passed a continuing resolution to keep the government open. Uh, this was in late September. And uh, MAGA Republican Matt Gates responded by leading a successful effort to uh, remove McCarthy from his job. And then the Republican conference uh, went through four failed nominees uh, before ending up with our, our speaker that we have now, Mike Johnson. So first question here is, uh, what, what was your takeaway from how this played out and, and what does it mean for, for the Republican Party? What does it mean for the United States Congress? I think it was an ample demonstration of the inability of a MAGA Republican Party uh, to govern. Um, and uh, governing means accepting the political reality that you've been dealt, uh, even if you hope to change that political reality in future elections. And the political reality is that the Republicans have a very narrow majority in the House. They are the minority party in the Senate. And uh, there's a Democrat as president. So if you are going to govern, you are going to have to reach accommodation uh, with Democrats. The accommodation that McCarthy reached was simply to continue funding at its existing level for a period of time. Uh, but because uh, that rather modest avoidance of a governmental shutdown attracted more Democratic votes, uh, on the floor than Republican votes, even though a majority of Republicans voted for it, uh, that triggered uh, his ouster by, paradoxically, eight Republicans joining with all Democrats to oust McCarthy, uh, creating precisely the sin that McCarthy was supposedly ousted for. Um, the range of failed speakers showed a breakdown of internal unity within the Republican caucus. The rule has always been for both parties uh, that in terms of leadership fights, um, you caucus and whoever gets the most votes in caucus, the entire caucus uh, is obligated to support on the floor. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, the MAGA candidate got re rejected by the institutionalists, and any institutional candidate got rejected by enough MAGA uh, opponents 
to defeat it. I think a combination of Johnson being universally uh, reported to be a nice guy and pure exhaustion and humiliation uh, led to uh, his ultimate acceptance by the entire caucus. Uh, but it's clear that they intend to continue to try to govern with a narrow majority in one house of the legislature when they don't have the other house and they don't have the presidency. Um, it may be that Johnson will actually get enough votes uh, from the caucus to do and, and, it, and, and have it accepted to do precisely what McCarthy did, which is to do another continuing resolution. Um, current target date is sometime in January. Uh, but the Israeli funding package indicates that Johnson is more committed to trying to create something that all Republicans in the House will support rather than something that can gain the support of a majority of Republicans in the House and enough Democrats so that it actually becomes law. Yeah, another another kind of revealing fact of that fight, I thought, was uh, just, the, just the pressure tactics that, that MAGA used, kind of like uh, when, you know, when Scalise, so, so Scalise had the nominee for a while, and when it was clear he didn't have the, have the votes of the whole conference, you know, he he dropped out, and then, and then Jim Jordan got the the nomination, <clears throat> and and it was it was clear that he didn't have the, you know, the votes, but instead his you know, his supporters started to, you know, make threats against uh, the 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 more institutionalized or the more institutional uh, Republicans. Um, I, I heard a couple of those voicemails that were left. You know, there's there was voicemails left on. Uh, some members' wives' phones, uh, threatening, threatening messages. It was just kind of the same old, you know, pressure, you know, tactics that we saw here in Arizona, you know, with, with people like, you know, Rusty Bowers and the, and the efforts to overturn the election. So I just noticed those, you know, those tactics, whereas, you know, a guy like Emmert, I think, I think the, the second to last guy, I forget, I I even forget his name. Um, but he was the only guy that that had had voted uh, to certify the, the 2020 election. Mike Johnson um, voted not to certify the 2020 election, and is even uh, a leader in making some some arguments that some of the some of the other House Republicans um, used as an excuse to, to to not certify the election. Do you think? Do you think that is a political problem for some of the more, you know, you could call them moderates, but it's, it's more of, you know, rational, willing to govern uh, Republicans like a Juan Siscomani in, in Arizona or Schweikert is another uh, kind of a swing district. Is this, are these, are the votes that they made, you know, for Jim Jordan, who is, who is considered more of an extremist and even Mike Johnson, who was, who was, uh, a leader in the effort to overturn the 2020 election, or at least to not certify it in Congress. Is that going to be a political problem or is that just kind of thing where that's just inside baseball voting for a speaker and it won't, it won't really matter. Well, both of those um, two Republican congressmen uh, voted for each of 
the nominees of the caucus. And, and I don't think there's much um, political hay to be made out of an internal fight over uh, a leadership position and a willingness to support the nominee who has the most votes at the, at the time um, from within the caucus. Schweikert, however, um, tried to be too clever by half when it came time to vote to certify or not certify electoral college results. Uh, he voted to accept Arizona's results uh, as opposed to several other members of the delegation. But then he voted to reject Pennsylvania's. So I think he can fairly be described as being part of the effort um, to uh, prevent the legal recognition of the results of the uh, 2020 election. So I do think it's a vulnerability for him, um, but I don't think it is for Juan. And then is, is, um, are they going to be, is, is Mike, um, is Mike, uh, Johnson, I, I think I said Emmert, uh, but it's Tom Emmer was the, was the speaker designate that, that actually voted to certify the election. That it was interesting because that was seen as basically a non-starter for, for, um, for the MAGA Republicans. The fact that he had, had, had voted for the, <laughs> um, for the certification. Um, but is Mike Johnson going to have, I mean, he's so, so it's just a reality that they're going to have to make a deal um, to, to keep the government open. Do you think he's going to have, you know, more of a leeway to, 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 to do that? Are we more likely are the, are the, um, are the, is the MAGA crowd going to allow him uh, to make a deal since they sort of claimed victory on getting him to that position? Or are they just going to turn on him when he inevitably, you know, has to make a some sort of a deal to, to keep the government open, or is the government just going to shut down? I think those are all completely open questions. Uh, it's an open question whether he will really try uh, to uh, reach a deal that's acceptable to enough House Democrats to pass it and uh, for the Senate to approve it and Biden to sign it. It's an open question as to whether, if he does that, uh, he will get um, the support of the MAGA Republicans who tossed McCarthy out uh, for a completely unobjectionable just continuing resolution so that the government doesn't shut down. Uh, there was bad, bad blood between many of the MAGA uh, Republicans and McCarthy, and uh, that blood, bad blood doesn't exist to start with, uh, with Johnson. Um, so it may be that, that uh, he will be able to sell enough of his caucus on the art of the possible to avoid the same fate. But there's certainly no guarantee of that. And posturing against a deal uh, with the Democrats uh, will continue to be rewarded in Magalan. And these, a lot of these guys seem not to be able to resist uh, that attention and, and applause uh, for posturing rather than governing. Yeah, and now I guess 
you know, the other objection that a lot of the MAGA people had to Emmer when he was, when he was briefly, I think it was less than, less than a few hours, he was the speaker uh, designate, um, was that he was also in leadership. So they've now, you know, he, he was in a leadership position. So now they've, they've kind of gotten, they've gotten McCarthy out, who was, who was a leader for a long time. Um, they didn't let, you know, a guy like Scalise or, um, or Emmer um, become, become leader. So now it's like they've, They've um, they've kind of cleaned house of the of the old institutional leadership, but now you've got a guy Mike Johnson who is you know he he got elected in in the Trump era, so he's kind of a new um, you know maybe full you know new era kind of um, kind of Republican uh, leader. So another another sign of the sort of the the, the new guard of the of the Republican Party is. The fact that um, Carrie Lake is the almost the default uh, nominee for United States Senate right now, and you know it it seems like I mean it's obviously the party the Republican Party has not moved on from Trump. Um, it's kind of evolved um, into the party of of Trump, and we've we've been rooting for a a break from Trump uh, even harder after the January 6th riots and this in the scheme to try to you know remain in power despite losing uh, the election but that that has not that break never happened uh, and you know it seems like a lot of the you know quote unquote normal republicans are are pretending the problem doesn't exist there's a there was a scene after uh, Speaker Mike Johnson held, they were holding a holding a press conference, like a celebratory press conference, after he won um, the speaker. And one of the there was Republicans behind him in the House. And one of the questions that a reporter asked in this press conference was, you know, whether he still supported um, or whether he had any regrets for for trying to. Um, not certify the the 2020 election. There was just laughs and jeers from the back, and 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 one congresswoman was yelling, "Shut up, shut up!" You know, so it's it's clearly that you know Republicans are are wishing that these issues you know were not there or that they shouldn't matter. But it's kind of hard to to wish away the issue when you're when you know like in Arizona, the default candidate right now is is Carrie Lake, whose position on January six is that uh, the rioters should have gotten what they wanted, and that uh, the legal votes for Arizona should not have been counted; they should have been rejected. And she thinks Donald Trump should have should have remained in power, um, despite the fact that he lost uh, the twenty twenty election. Do you think that this that the democracy issue is going to be as important in in 2024 as it was in in 2022 or do you think that the electorate has a has a short memory about that and that you know these republicans are just going to kind of move on and and how do you how do you see that issue being being salient or not I don't think you can move on from an attempted coup. I, I don't know that it will be as potent an issue as it was in 2022, uh, but I think it will be a salient issue, and particularly so if Trump is the Republican nominee uh, for president in 2024, and if Kerry Lake is the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in 2024. Uh, that makes the poignancy of 
the issue of an attempted coup um, very, very uh, salient and central. Uh, I, I think what you heard um, from the jeering over the legitimate question that was asked about Mike Johnson and his role in the attempted coup uh, wasn't so much a desire to move on uh, as it was uh, a continuing article of faith uh, and uh, an attempt to ridicule uh, those who uh, regarded as a serious breach of and dangerous breach of democratic norms. I don't think there's a recognition within MAGA ranks the extent to which that has alienated a very broad segment of American voters and Arizona voters, including a pretty sizable segment of Republican registered voters. Uh, I just think that there's a failure to recognize reality. Uh, and uh, it will continue to be of deep concern to independents and Republicans who object to violations of democratic norms like that and attempted coups if you have the coup master himself, Trump is head of the Republican, continuing to be titular head of the Republican Party. Uh, it He makes it an issue and he makes it a big issue. Yeah. And, there and, some... and, Lake, and Lake makes it a big issue. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, when, when she first announced her campaign, there were some articles saying, oh, maybe she's trying a different tone or something. But she's never she's never changed or she's never apologized. She's never conceded. She's never expressed anything other than, you know, the, the view that Donald Trump should have, that the, that the election was rigged. Donald Trump should have been in power. And you could assume from that, that if she was a Senator at the time, she would have voted to reject Arizona's electors and, and really pushed for Trump to stay in power. Yeah. I, I was shocked at the number of national national, uh, pundits that bought the G uh, Carrie Lake is moderating theme just because she didn't say that the 2020 election was uh, rigged and the wrong guy was uh, installed in her formal announcement uh, video. Uh, however, everything else in that video was pure MAGA. Yeah. Um, she, she hasn't changed a bit. She's not going to change a bit. Uh, and she may end up electing Ruben Gallego um, as the next senator from Arizona. Are other rank and file Republicans in Arizona just going to go along with that? I mean, why, why are we not seeing, um, I mean, why are we not seeing uh, more traditional conservative launching a primary challenge against Lake. Why, why are we not seeing that? And if you're a, if you're a rank and file Republican, that's not full MAGA by now. What, what do you do when, when your Senate, when your party nominated Carrie Lake for, for Senate and, and Donald Trump for president? Well, um, I, I think the general assumption is, is that Lake is unbeatable in a Republican primary. 
um, so that any effort to challenge her is futile. I think that's a false reading of events. I mean, she barely beat uh, Karen Taylor Robeson to get the Republican nomination uh, uh to be uh, governor in, in 2022. And uh, Robeson did not run. Uh, she ran as an imitation Trump supporter, even though no one believed that she was. I, be I believe that there is, it's a long shot, but if you could defeat late in a primary, and who knows what happens between now and next August with uh, Trump and his uh, legal problems, uh, whether there will be things that will occur that dramatically change the dynamics within internal uh, Republican politics, it's possible. Uh, and if you were to prevail against Lake, I think you have a cakewalk uh, to the U.S. Senate. I think a, re a traditional, pragmatic conservative uh, as the Republican nominee in 2024 would easily defeat Ruben Gallego in a head-on-head head head, uh, contest uh, and would be very likely to prevail in a three-way race that include Kirsten Sinema. So to accept the long shot against Lake in a primary in a situation where the political dynamics uh, would change, I think you would have a great chance if you achieved, if, if, you, if you achieved that upset of then being a U.S. Senator. So it's a little surprise to me that utterly nobody uh, is taking on uh, that mantle or running in that lane. Yeah, or even just for the just for the principle of it, just for the principle of having someone that, um, that believes that our elections are, are, are free and fair and, and that, that um, you know, constitutional democracy is is important and it's not a joke and it's not a is not something just to you know throw out in the garbage can just because you can't admit to losing an election um so it's just it's kind of just <laughs> it's a long story of 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 uh feeling disheartened about the response to the republican party but it just feel it feels to me like it's it's sort of uh you know the the combination of the speaker outcome and you know the lack of even a primary challenger it's just like it seems like the republican party is the officially the maga the maga party you know i don't the, know that, that's the only characterization um that has any evidence for it at present yeah it's trump's party it's a maga party and um, so, okay, but then in the in the Debbie Lesko is not running for re-election in District Eight. Uh, she so there's very crowded uh, uh, contest here, which will be interesting to watch. You have Abraham Hamaday, who's a Trump super fan who lost the Attorney General's race to Chris Mays. You got Blake Masters, a Trump super fan who lost the U.S. Senate race to Mark Kelly. You have Ben Toma who is currently the Speaker of the State House, and he lives in the district. You have Trent Franks, who resigned in the scandal, um, you know, maybe five or six years ago that led to Debbie Lesko, you know, getting that seat. And then you have Anthony Kern, who's a state senator who personally traveled to the January 6th riot. I mean, what do you make of that whole 
situation? Well, Toma uh, has a solid record of conservative accomplishments. Uh, he is as responsible as anyone uh, for um, Arizona's flat personal income tax and uh, universal vouchers um, for K-12 education. Uh, even though Ducey gets and and claims credit uh, for that, uh, Toma actually had far more to do with their enactment uh, than uh, our former governor did. I don't know where he stood on uh, Trump and the 2020 election, all of the audit stuff came from the Senate, not the House. Um, so I don't know where he stands in Magaland. I presume he, if he was made Speaker of the House, that he was at least accommodative to it. Uh, but unlike the others, uh, he has a solid record of achievement uh, in terms of traditional conservative uh, policy objectives. Uh, and as you mentioned, he lives in the district where some of the other contenders uh, do not. He received Lesko's uh, endorsement. So I do believe there's a candidate there uh, that has appeal to traditional pragmatic conservatives. Uh, whether, whether he can overcome uh, the louder and more prominent fealty to Trump uh, displayed by Hamaday and uh, Masters, I don't know. Uh, but there, there will be one redeeming feature of that race, which is there will be a MAGA bloodbath. Yeah. Uh, there will be a lot of candidates, MAGA candidates that lose that one, whether a constructive conservative like Toma ends up defeating all of them. I don't know. I think certainly he has a, he starts in an outside lane. Um, but again, unlike the others, he has a track record of accomplishment. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, Carrie Lake's decision to, to endorse Hamaday, you know, so early, if you're trying, if you, if you're thinking you'd be the default candidate for us Senate, you, you, you know, you would think you'd want to just unify the whole Republican party and, and you've got all these different brands of <laughs> brands of uh, being a Republican right now, but she just jumps right in and, and, you know, starts uh, making it a big deal that Hamaday didn't, he didn't give up after he, after he lost, he kept, he kept fighting and, and, and apparently masters is now weak because he conceded when he lost. Well, so. this is a demonstration of of Lake not actually turning a page and and um, trying to be a more acceptable candidate to a broader range of people. There's an old adage in politics that friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. And um, she seems to have no desire to reduce the accumulation of political enemies or people who don't wish her well and and that endorsement of anybody in that race uh, was just a uh, own goal uh, for someone who wants to be a U.S. senator. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll see how this 
we'll see how this plays out. Um, hopefully, I'm hoping. I mean, is it, it's not too late for a for some principal conservative to jump in the Senate race, is it? What's it's the not. And, and and on the the uh, CD8 race, I loved your Twitter con- Twitter comment um, that this will be a. Uh, poster child example for open primary. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was very, very good. Yeah, if you yeah watch watch just watch the Twitter feeds of these candidates running and and then and then think about what it, what an open primary might might look like. We'll have to talk about the open primary um, ballot initiatives uh, on a, on a future podcast. Thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook. You can. Find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks.